Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Adam Gower. Adam, how are you? Thank you. I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Hey, my pleasure. And I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. I know we're going to have a wide ranging discussion. It's going to be multifaceted, but it's going to be a ton of value. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation. And I'm excited to welcome Elevate Nation back because as I always say, I mean, it's time to take it to another level. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to raise the bar. We're here to, you know, our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And we say greatness, not from the ego perspective, but creating a great life, creating something substantial, creating fulfillment and joy, you know, an adventure and creativity of curiosity, you know, whatever it is that you want in your life, we, we believe it's possible through committing to constant and never ending improvement as the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Robbins says, you know, personal growth is the key as well as investing successfully in real estate. And that's what we love on Elevate. So, you know, we're going to talk about mindset, habits, systems, tools, routines, strategies, and so much more from an individual like Adam, so that you, the listener, the viewer can do so, you know, even more so for yourself, rather than just living that average life, rather than just living that life that you tolerate, you can actually elevate to a life without limits and live a life of fulfillment of joy, as we spoke about earlier. And I want to remind you that this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. If you appreciate what we're doing, certainly would be grateful if you subscribe to the show, if you gave us a rating, a review, uh, it certainly helps us because, you know, look, we live in a world of algorithms. I've said this before. If you give us a rating, if you give us a review, it helps us reach more people. It helps us attract better guests. And so if you're enjoying the show, you know, pay the fee there by doing that. We do this for free. Uh, we certainly are grateful for that. So please do that. And with that said, I want to dive into an outstanding discussion today. I want to introduce you to Adam Gower, PhD, who is an authority in content marketing and online communication for the real estate industry. He has more than 30 years and $1.5 billion of transactional experience in commercial real estate finance and investment. Today, he builds best of class digital marketing platforms for private clients so they can raise more capital online and provides online courses for those who wanna do it themselves, all at gowercrowd.com. And of course, we'll put a link there in the notes of the show. And uh, with all that said, Adam, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself behind the bio. <laughs> Tyler, what a pleasure to be here. That was an amazing introduction. <laughs> it was really well done. I always record mine uh, after I do the interviews so that I can be hyper prepped. But that was really <laughs> excellent. Thank you so much for that introduction. Thank you. Gosh, we're behind the bio. I don't, I don't know really, you know, uh, uh, I think probably the biggest thing behind the bio is the my personal transition and the idea of continual improvement. You know, I spent a lot of time, Tyler, in Japan. And actually, I went to Japan uh, with the intention of personal improvement. And the few times that I have engaged in major shifts in my life have been to seek to learn something really big and profound. And when I went to Japan, and the, re the reason I mentioned Japan is because they have a, a word there, it's called Kaizen. And it, it, it means this, this concept of continual improvement, const constantly seeking ways to do something better. So I've always done that. And the funny thing is, actually, <clears throat> I've never known where I'm going when I start on these journeys. Seriously, people ask me when I went to Japan, they said, so why are you going to Japan? I said, I'm going to learn to speak Japanese. So they asked, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, when, you learn, when you've learned it, I said, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out then. <laughs> For now, all I know is I want to do something different. And I actually ended up running real estate across Asia Pacific as president of Universal Studios. So that's how I ended up using my Japanese but behind the bio, 
and you ask me one question and you end up with a 20 minute discourse. So I'll, have to, I'll, it, try and put, <laughs> I'll try and slow it down a little bit. But the last time that happened, and most relevantly, was a realization when the Jobs Act of 2012 passed that you didn't have to raise money from people that you knew as a real estate developer, you could do it online. And the reason that that was such a profound moment of realization for me was because I had spent my entire career raising money in person. I've raised over half a billion dollars in equity throughout the course of my career. And it has always been in person. So what I decided to do this other big shift, this Kaizen moment, this uh, you know, self-improvement moment, was to learn digital marketing. And it was something, Tyler, seriously, that I had absolutely shied away from. In fact, I remember spending time, I, I actually spent money on a company uh, to erase my name from the internet find me online and get rid of it because I was of this old school mentality that if I hadn't actually told somebody about me in person, I didn't want them to know. I wanted to control my world so much that I knew what everybody knew about me and I was able to control it. So behind the bio is the decision about six years ago to dive into the world of digital and content marketing. And it profoundly, as much as it has changed the commercial real estate world, it changed my life as well. So that is my 20 minute answer to <laughs> one little question. Be careful what you ask. Well, let me just tell you real quick, you make my life easy when you do that. So go for it, man. Keep going for these outstanding answers. And I appreciate that. It makes it makes it more fun too. So thank you for going in all of those directions. And, you know, one of the things I find to be so interesting about, you know, the Kaizen sort of uh, moment or this, the, the culture behind that is, you know, it, it's a, it's a philosophy that many people adopt, right? And you went to Japan just to learn something. You didn't know how you're going to apply it. And that's, I find that to be interesting about curiosity. I talk about curiosity a lot on this show because we're curious for certain reasons. You know, we're curious for things that we may not be aware of. We may not know what it's going to give us later on in our life. When you learned how to speak Japanese or learn more about the culture, you know, it ultimately led to a career in, you know, the Asia Pacific markets. And I find it to be so fascinating, your journey beyond that. And, you know, kind of bringing that another step further, one thing that I really took a note of that you just mentioned was, the Jobs Act obviously gave a big shift to commercial real estate and private capital, private placement, so to speak, in terms of the ability to market to folks who you may not have a substantial relationship with. And prior to that, it was all about having that substantial relationship with accredited investors. And that's the only way that folks can really participate. This not only gave syndicators more of an opportunity or fund, you know, funds more of an opportunity to raise capital outside of their sphere, but it also gave, you know, accredited investors and, and, and those who are sophisticated in nature, more of an opportunity to participate, which is a win for everyone. So I find it to be so fascinating how your old school mentality that you described there um, was really a shift because you saw this as like, all right, wait a minute, this is an opportunity, but I want to be non-existent online before that. And so obviously there's a profound shift where it's like, all right, I need to be everywhere. Everyone needs to know about me so they can find my opportunities. I just wanted to make that mention because you know what? So many people in our business still have that old school mentality. It's like, hey, why are you spending so much time on social media? Why are you doing this podcast? Why are you this, that, and the other? And I think that was, it seems like the shift that happened in your mind, correct? I mean, it was mainly just the mindset. It started, right? Yeah, you know, it didn't happen quite as easily as that. <clears throat> so the, there was an aware, I became aware that, that the laws had changed and that it was going to have a profound impact. I happened to, at the time, have uh, moved into a co-working space at a university. And I was surrounded by students and a very vibrant startup community. So I joined 
a seed investment, an angel investment group. And I was being pitched. I would go to these meetings and I'd be pitched. And there were lots of them. You know, there were big uh, events and uh, individual private meetings and all kinds of things. But basically, we're being pitched by these 20-something-year-old kids who were talking another language. They were speaking the language of digital marketing, content marketing, essentially, and of tech, right? The world of tech. And it was a foreign language to me. And when I embarked on it, at that time, I could not tell you that I would be doing what I'm doing now. In the same way as when I went to Japan and learned to speak Japanese, those first few months, of total isolation were incredibly difficult, actually. And I actually think that, and look, this is the Elevate podcast, right? So let's dive a little bit deep. I don't usually talk this way, but it's an interesting topic. I have found that in my life, the times when I have been learning the most are one, the most fulfilling, even on a day-to-day basis, but also the most challenging and the hardest to go through, like kind of this where you, where you are plateauing in life and then there is a period of elevation. It doesn't happen like that. It's like climbing a mountain. You've you got to fight your way up there. You know, it fe- kind of feels good, but you feel tired. It, it's exhausting. And when you get there, you realize that you have become something different. You have achieved something and you see the world in a different way. And that's kind of what happened to me when I moved into the digital marketing world. I started actually with a podcast of all things, but I had no clue, really zero, zero clue. I knew how to use email. You know, the funny thing is actually, I actually built an automated email system. I didn't, I don't, I at the time, I didn't realize this is what I was doing. But during the last downturn, this is totally tangential, but I will share this with you. <laughs> during the last downturn, I was brought into a major bank who had done a lot of construction lending, uh, a lot of uh, real estate lending. So they had billions of dollars of uh, real estate collateralized loans that had all gone bad. And my job was to sell those loans to investors. And I had hundreds and hundreds of emails come into my inbox every day. It was impractical to answer them all personally. So I actually created a, an auto email system. It was a little rudimentary, but it worked very well. Anyway, that's a total side note. So my, head, my mind was wired to automate the process or to automate processes. Um, and so I started learning by listening to a podcast on how to make podcasts I learned how to do a podcast and I built, I built out, I discovered Libsyn. I discovered how to buy a website, how to build a website, discovered Beaver Builder. And I went through, and you mentioned it. Actually, I just watched your intro, your intro video on your website. It's really good. Again, you're very natural. Tyler, a lot better than I am. I'm like more scripted. Uh, But uh, you talked about having taken courses and hired mentors. So I did a lot of that, hired a lot of people to get me quickly from total overwhelm, right, building something in tech to an end result that I wanted to, like cut through all the learning, get me all the way through the learning curve as fast as possible. I'll pay you to do that because I don't want to have to figure out what that path of least resistance is. And that's exactly what I did. And so now you know, I, I, all modesty aside, am extremely good at what I do, extremely expert at digital marketing, but it's taken six years to figure it out. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy path. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Well, it's it's so interesting because it required a transformation, right? You, you notice the opportunity, 
you had achieved a level of success already, but you said, you know what, this could really take it to the next level. And you, you even mentioned, um, you know, plateauing and going through some challenge and, you know, feeling like you're at that dead end. It's like, yeah, I feel like I'm making progress and this is good. I know I'm learning, but this is painful at the same time. And recognizing that perhaps going through that pain will kind of get you to that next place. And, and I'm so fond of this philosophy that, you know, easy choices equal a hard life and that hard choices can equal an easy life. And I don't know who the, the quote is attributed to, so I'll have to circle back on that. But, you know, it seems like that's the philosophy that you took as well. But I'd be curious to know, I mean, is it because of the opportunity that you saw to really expand your network and to expand your capacity to scale your business that wanted, you know, that, that allowed you to, to make this decision or what was the thought process there? Tyler, so listen, I'm going to share with you some stuff I never usually talk about. Otherwise, everybody listening to all the podcasts I'm on are going to hear the same thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. So share, I'll, I'll share you a little, a little secret. And this is something that your listeners might appreciate. One of the hardest things, actually, about going online is the fear of being seen as, uh, of getting it wrong, right? And of being seen to, what does this guy know? It's called the imposter syndrome, right? One of the nice things about being in front of somebody in person when you pitch is that you can read their nonverbal communication cues and you can adjust the way that you communicate. It's one of the nice things about Zoom actually. You can adjust the way that you communicate based on those nonverbal cues. So when you go into this world where you are speaking or, or teaching or saying anything actually online and it's going out to an audience that can't see you or that you can't see, that can be very, very intimidating. There's a lot of fear behind that, that you might be seen to be a fool, right? No matter how bright you are. And what changed that profoundly for me and for everybody else, it's different. And for my private clients, I help them overcome this hurdle because it's a big hurdle and there are ways of doing it. But the way it happened to me was it wasn't accidental but it kind of was. It wasn't intended. It was an unintended consequence of getting a PhD. So I spent a lot of time doing research to get this PhD. I went to one of the top schools in the world and got this PhD late in life. And when I actually got it, it was like a light bulb went off. It's a it was switch. I shouldn't say a light bulb. A switch was thrown. And I, it suddenly occurred to me that I am, I don't know anybody else in commercial real estate throughout my entire career who has a PhD. So it gave me the confidence to think, you know what, heck, I've got a PhD. I'm a doctor. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> and that gave me the confidence to like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to teach now. I'm going to help people. Well, the other thing, actually, with the, with the Jobs Act was, that, and you mentioned it, accredited investors, sophisticated investors. Real estate's really complicated. You know that. And so suddenly, all these, all these investors have the opportunity now to invest in real estate, but have no idea really what's involved. And I felt this kind of personal responsibility to help investors understand what I knew about real estate so that they can also understand what's a good deal and protect themselves basically when they go out and they, and they can invest. And so I decided to start teaching and that was how I migrated. That was the, the switch that flipped that allowed me to go online and start talking about real estate as though I actually knew anything, basically about it. <laughs> well, I think the uh, I think the imposter syndrome is something that is to a certain degree healthy, you know, because we don't want imposters out there. We want people who are real and and have credibility and have experience, and and if they don't, they can partner up with others who do. And I think there's a certain certain level of health behind that sort of thought process. And, and if you don't have that, maybe there's a little bit of a question there, but obviously at some point you've got to have some confidence to step up to the plate and, and share what you know 
and be authentic in that. And so I, I think it's very interesting. But I'd love to, you know, give us a little bit of a look behind the curtain on what you do for your clients and, and uh, how you really help them gain an edge. So one of the biggest challenges that sponsors have is making the decision to go online and to raise money online. And what I like to tell, what I like to tell them is that actually it's no different than doing it in person. It really isn't. The only difference is that you are recording everything that you're saying. So imagine that your screen is that ideal prospect, that ideal investor, and that you are as, as ridiculous as that is, put a picture of your ideal. In fact, this is something we do with clients. We help them put together an ideal investor avatar, right? And it's a very detailed process actually to define what that person looks like. We even encourage them to find a photograph online of that character, of who that person is, and to use it, put it up on their screen or print it out. And then when they make their content or produce content uh, or pitch basically to a recording device of some sort, uh, that they use that image to pitch to. Imagine talking to them. What I do actually is I have, when I occasionally, now I'm more used to it, but occasionally what I do when I'm trying to, what I feel if I'm recording a webinar or a webcast or something, I actually put up pictures of classrooms full of students at desks. I actually find that quite inspiring. I like, I like awesome. talking to crowds. But for most people, they will, um, the, uh, uh, just an ideal investor is the best person to talk to. Anyway, I'm going off track there a little bit. Um, the, what, the, the hardest thing for a sponsor is to actually make the decision to go online. And the big difference is, like I said, is that it's not, it, actually it's no different from doing it in, in person, you're just recording it. But the big difference is that you can exponentially expand your reach by going online, number one. Number two, don't imagine you're as wonderful as you think you are. And what I mean by that, this is not imposter syndrome, which is a different thing. This is now, don't imagine that every single investor wants to sit down with you for two hours over lunch to hear you pitch your deal and tell you all about it. They don't. As much as you don't want to be sold by somebody for a big ticket item, Nobody else does either. And the way that you can facilitate that process and make it easier for your current investors, importantly, and for new investors, as well as a very effective way of finding new investors, is to commit it to this device here as I wave my phone in front of the screen. If you can put your content into short, sound bites that doesn't mean just headlines you do need to dive deep as well but if you can create a variety of content your same pitch your same story but digitize it that allows your prospects and your existing investors to consume it whenever they want and it puts your it means that you can be communicating with prospects developing a relationship with prospects without ever having to meet them. It's, it's an absolute truth. If, if, if you have any doubt at all, just think, anyone listening now, how well do you feel like you know Tyler Chesser, right? Has he ever met you? Have you ever met him? Probably not, but you know him. You feel like you know him pretty well, right? That is the power of digit of putting your story online and you can do the same thing. And that's what we, that's what we tell our, our prospects and how we train our clients. I love it. And, you know, there's so much value in, you know, adopting these philosophies, adopting these strategies, you know, if you are a sponsor of real estate deals, because look, you can access so many more opportunities if you've got more access to capital. And I'd love for you to speak uh, just a little bit to the passive investors. You know, obviously, 
with a, you know, one of the things I, I talk about so frequently is gratitude. And one of the things I think of, you know, so frequently is that I'm grateful for technology and all the abundance of, you know, resources that we have from a technological standpoint and how we can communicate and build relationships with folks all over the world, uh, you know, across the country and really through these type of mediums as you were describing. But I'd love to know beyond, you know, obviously it makes a lot of sense from the sponsor standpoint, how does a passive investor thrive in this environment? How does a passive investor uh, make the most appropriate decisions with all of the abundance of opportunities that are out there from folks who are using these, you know, leverage resources to their, you know, at their disposal. I'd love to know if you could speak a little bit to that, uh, to the passive investors. Yes. So it's actually a really good question. Um, the, the word that comes to mind, funnily enough, when you ask this, right, how do passive investors benefit? And then with a word of caution as well, I'll, I'll add a word of caution, importantly, but how do you benefit? The word that comes to my mind is smorgasbord. Right. Yeah. We didn't have this word when I was growing up in England. We called it a buffet, right? You go to a buffet and uh, it's like anything you wanted to eat was all laid out there on the table. Well, and here's a smorgasbord, right? (laughs) So so the way that real estate used to be, private real estate investing, you had to know somebody. You really did. You had to have a personal connection. The reason for that was because it was prohibited, as you know, by law since 1933 for a, for a developer to approach you. So if you didn't know a developer and have a personal relationship with them, how were you going to find out? They couldn't advertise. They couldn't say anything. They didn't. You're right. You had to get to know them. You had to, and if you were interested, you had to root them out and find them and get introductions and whatever. It was a whole performance. As a consequence, it typically investors pre-2014 or so, the act was 2012, the laws weren't promulgated for a couple of years, but basically in that era, prior to that, investors in real estate, passive investors in real estate might know one developer and would be invited by that developer to write a big check. (laughs) It's a big minimum Right, you've got to write a big check to get into their yep. deals. And so you were very limited on the scope to which you were able to assess whether or not they were doing a good job. The only thing that would really you could really do was have experience, run the risk, right? Roll the dice with a big check. It's not an easy thing to do. And if it performed well, over time, specifically during bad times as well, then you might invest again and you might recommend somebody else. But your field of vision was highly restricted. Mm -hmm. Come along the Jobs Act and the impact of digital syndication, online syndication, or what has become colloquially termed crowdfunded syndications, now you have a smorgasbord. (laughs) <laughs> you can go to CrowdStreet, RealCrowd, Realty Mogul, Fundrise. You can go to a, a half a dozen well-reputed sites, log on, and look at dozens, if not hundreds of deals. Plus, you can find sponsors out there who are raising money without going to one of the marketing platforms, right? One of the crowdfunding platforms. So now suddenly you have this opportunity, this enormous range. So advantage number one, opportunity to look at a range of deals from a range of sponsors across a range of asset classes across the country and compare them. Never, ever been able to do that before. Has never been possible before. So now you have that opportunity. However, the disadvantage to that, of course, is overwhelm. How the heck do you pick the winning horse? Right? Where do you start? You can certainly diversify. That's another advantage. So 
instead of having to put a million dollars into one deal, right? Because that's what the guy at the country club said was the minimum. <laughs> now you can put 20 or 50,000 into whatever, you know, 10, 20 deals, however many you want to do. So you can spread your risk. So that's more of a kind of investment portfolio approach, but it still doesn't reduce the burden upon you to understand or to learn what it is that you are looking at. So the challenge is to be able to understand like the language of commercial real estate, right? What is the language of commercial real estate? And just if you don't mind, just a little plug, that is something else that we do at Gower Crowd is we have a series of courses where I've actually broken it down into core concepts that apply to every single asset class. And to me, that's a, that's a huge responsibility. And you only have to learn it once. That's the other thing that's nice. And then once you do that, you can look at all these deals and you can hear people talking about these core concepts and you can start to understand them. Well, I Another 20-minute discourse to one simple question that you asked me. Well, so. I love it. I, I tell you what, I, I love it. You make my life easy and I appreciate that. But I, you know, I think one of the big takeaways here is that you know, analysis paralysis is real. It is absolutely something that we all experience in this overly abundant world of you know, information and opportunities. You know, if, you, if you're in a place where, you know what, uh, I've got so many different options and so I'm just going to do nothing, you know, you've got to recognize that, especially, you know, passive investors, even operators. I mean, we all look at so many deals, new deals come across our desk every single day. So, you know, it's a matter of defining your objectives, defining your outcomes. And, and I also believe in, you know, building relationships with others in the space, you know, because of course there are, you know, I got involved in the space as a passive investor, you know, after being active and looking at what are, what are the other options out there? You mentioned Fundrise, you mentioned Realty Mogul and, and you know, the others in the space. And I think it's a great way for you to dip your toe and, and you know, take some, some dollars out of the, the Wall Street casino, so to speak, and, and provide some new opportunities for cash flow and upside and tax benefits and all these things. And then also, if you can, perhaps you find, uh, you know, a few different crowdfunding syndicators that are doing deals that maybe you want to learn from as well. Maybe you want to participate with them. Maybe you want to also learn, you know, how are things going, get a little bit more of a look behind the curtain. There's another opportunity there. So I think the other piece of this is the opportunities are endless, but it's a matter of making decisions. And I think as I always cringe when I hear the word passive investor, because I, I think that you still need to be active and you still need to be thinking of, well, what are my outcomes and what are, you know, what are my metrics that I'm looking to accomplish? Would you agree to that? And, and what has your experience been in terms of how has that developed over the past six years in terms of, obviously, we've had a huge shift and people have access to everything, but are you seeing more of the analysis paralysis where folks are saying, wow, there's so many opportunities out here, I don't know what to do? Or are you seeing, hey, you know what, we're, we've got more participation uh, from this. I'm just curious from a high level, what would you say to that? It's an interesting question, actually. So analysis paralysis, what I was kind of driving at with that, and I'll come, I'll come back to your question, but what I was driving at was um, the importance of having a foundation, an educational foundation yep. th that you can, that, so that you can understand what people are talking about. And you can understand what I call, you can read between the lines. Because yep. when you go online and you look at a pitch, look, you know, I'm not taking anything away from sponsors. Obviously, I am one. Right? So, uh, <laughs> but if, I think that for a, uh, for, a, for a passive investor, and we'll get back to that question in a second. Actually, I will have you told me to nub it out. That you have to have a foundation of understanding. You've got to know what some yep. of the basics are. You know, you've got to know the main financial terms. But importantly, to understand how a developer understands those, right? Because there's no central school of real estate. So every developer understands those terms based on their own personal education, their own background, and their own experience in real estate. Yep. So everybody has a slightly different view of what these terms mean. So establish your own foundation as, as a passive investor. In other words, not a sponsor, but somebody who's investing cash, right? As a passive investor. And then learn what sponsors, how other sponsors that you're considering investing with 
how do they see those terms? Understand it that way. And then you will start to understand them personally. And that's how you establish a relationship with them, right? Remember also that every developer is a salesman, right? They, when they're pitching their deal, that's a sales pitch. The details are kind of hidden. I mean, they're not. They're fully disclosed, but they might be disclosed in a 200-page offering document. I mean, my books aren't even that long, right? <laughs> uh, and then they're also kind of hidden behind that sponsor's experience of the world. So be, be willing to, under, to tr try and dive into that, but you have to have a foundation. Let me just make a mention real quick, if you don't mind. I just wanted to you know, stack on top of that. I think it was in a phenomenal response because at the end of the day, it's about investing in your own knowledge, investing in your own understanding so that you can read between the lines so that you can look at an offering and say, okay, here's what they're telling me. Is this true based on my own understanding? What is the sponsor or the you know, operating partner's model of the world? What is their background sort of? What is their experience? And, and how does that relate to what I believe is reality, which can then sort of get rid of most of the fluff and then we can focus on this is going to get to us to our outcome. Look, um, Tyler, it's so, it's, that is so very true. Real estate is a very complicated business. I'll give you one very simple example. I actually saw this recently online uh, with a deal that had been closed and it pertains to the concept of the internal rate of return. This is an advanced concept. The problem is that the internal rate of return is quoted at, first of all, well, it's quoted as a percentage return. So you look at a deal and you think, ooh, 20% IRR, internal rate of return. So people just think, ooh, I'm going to get a 20% return, I'm in. Yeah. The problem is that the, if you don't understand how that works, that how that actual metric works, you are going to make a decision that is founded on insufficient knowledge. And what I mean by that is, and I kind of came to this, and I'll try and say this quickly. <laughs> I used to work for a fund, and we were the partners of the fund were. Uh, IRR based. So their bonuses were based on IRR. And my job was to do divestments. I'm not going to talk about who it was, <laughs> but my job was to do divestments. And because I was selling portfolios of assets ahead of scheduled exit, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, this is the point I'm making. Yes. The IRR spiked. So the IRR went up from a projected 18, and because I was selling early, they went up to 25. So everybody inside the company made a huge packet. All the partners got bonuses. I got paid well. Eventually, though, it was realized that we shouldn't be doing that anymore because we were leaving money on the table. The point of telling you that story is I saw that recently. Somebody actually advertised. They said, we sold this deal a year ahead of schedule and delivered an IRR that was higher than projected. And I just thought, well, of course you did, because you sold it ahead of schedule. That's, I mean, that's how you did it. In right. nominal dollars, you probably left money on the table mm. at the end of the day. But somebody who doesn't really understand that wouldn't understand that. Can so I make another comment to an IRR? I think it's so interesting because, you know, anytime you see an offering that projects an IRR, it is truly that it's a projection. You're putting your finger in the wind and you're guessing what the future market's going to look like. If you're saying, Hey, in seven years, we project to exit at a cap rate of 6% and that's going to return an IRR of 17% to this deal. You know, you don't know if that's the case or not. And there's a lot of financial engineering. So I do think it's highly important what you're saying there in terms of reading between the lines and understanding the assumptions understanding truly what is this business plan? Is this realistic or is it not? Am I taking all of this for face value or am I an educated and an empowered investor to participate with the understanding that perhaps that assumption is not possible? So I just wanted to stack on that. Yeah. And you know, that's, you nailed it right there, right? And this is this idea of passive investing, getting back to your original question, this concept of passive investing. So there are two ways to passively invest. What, and this is one of the biggest challenges being a real estate educator, right? Like both of us are. One of the biggest challenges is that there is so much noise in 
on, online from people who use very hypey language that uses NLP across the board and is very impactful, very compelling, uh, and draws people in, but it's just noise. They are selling snake oil, how to make money with no money down, how to invest from your sofa, uh, right? Invest in real estate with no risk, et cetera, et cetera. It's snake oil. To be a passive, a true passive investor, you don't want to be passive in that way. You want to be actively engaged in the process of deciding what deals to invest in. You have to be actively aware that real estate is high risk, high return, and that you can mitigate the risk by being well-informed. It's passive because you are not dealing with the plumber. Right, you're not out there on site, hire, bringing tenants in and managing a building. But it doesn't mean that you should be passive in terms of the way that you evaluate a deal and and um, decide what you're actually going to invest in. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year. Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really, you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. No, so well said. And and you mitigate your risk by being well informed is the soundbite there that I think everybody's got to reverberate in their mind. How can you inform yourself? How can you educate yourself? How can you invest in your own information? And you know what? It's constantly changing. It's rapidly moving, especially in you know a changing market cycle. So what are you doing to educate yourself on a macroeconomic basis, as well as a microeconomic basis, as well as understanding assumptions and the reality of potential assumptions in the future and and how are you making decisions because as you mentioned I mean it's all risk but if you invest in yourself if you invest in your constant never-ending improvement you can be successful so man I, I tell you what there, there's really a lot here and you mentioned even NLP I mean I, I, could, I think we could probably have an entire uh, additional conversation on neuro-linguistic programming and, and really the fascination that I have on that concept. And uh, so I'll, I'll be respectful. Maybe that's part two of the conversation uh, together. But, um, you know, one of the things I find so interesting is just the psychology behind all of this, you know, the, the conscious, you know, decision making as well as the subconscious decision making. So again, we'll, we'll reserve that for part two of the discussion, perhaps in the future. But but, but Adam, I'd love to know, you know, tr- transitioning slightly and switching gears in terms of, you know, investing in your own information advantage and, and mitigating your own risk and, and really capitalizing on your own future opportunities. I'd be curious to know, you know, how are you investing in yourself these days in addition to what you're doing with your real estate business and your digital marketing platform? Gosh, that's a really interesting question. Yes. So... That is interesting. So there's a couple things that I'm, a couple things that I do. I do remember actually when I was in Japan after I had learned to speak Japanese. One of the joys of speaking a language as difficult as that was that I felt like I learned a new construct or a new word every single day. Right when I was talking to somebody, there were moments when I would say something so fluently that I'd come to the end of the sentence and I'd have a momentary, a moment of consciousness, just a fleeting conscious moment that said, wow, did I just do that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, how the, I just said that. It was just a blow away experience. And what I do now is I have developed this, philosophy, this, this idea of Kaizen, this kind of constant improvement. So what I try to do is 
I set it because it can be intimidating. It's, it's easy to become obsessed with perfection. And so importantly, you've got to get something out there. So you start with something and it doesn't need to be perfect. So I will start building something. And I think of it like a circle. All the different components of my business and of my relationship and of how I help our private clients and the people that buy the courses, et cetera. That each one of those, that entire world has a series of components. So, for example, it might be uh, CTAs on the website, calls to action on the website. Another might be search engine optimization, right? optimizing the site for, for organic traffic. Uh, another might be webinars. Another might be uh, teaching courses, etc. So there are all these pillars that form the infrastructure of the business. And what I like to do is to get them out there, get them running, and then to circle back in a specific order and review how each one is performing and then elevate it to its next level, one at a time. So I'll move through, but never stop doing that. Never be satisfied, but also never imagine it's going to be perfect. Progress, not perfection. So take an individual component, make it better, get it to another plateau, and then move on to the next one and then keep on going around in that circle. So that's what I try to do. I love that. And, you know, really what I get from that is your personal philosophy of the constant and never ending improvement, you know, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for the pillars of your business. And, and I think that's interesting as well. You know, I was having a conversation uh, previously, uh, it was I, maybe it was last week when we were talking about, you know what? perfection is something that some people do seek and, and they, you know, tend to not take action if they can't do it perfect. And, you know, what I was told by a mentor in the past is that version one is better than version none. And I do <laughs> find it very, very interesting that, you know, the, the tie to perfection sometimes can hold us back, but then also holding yourself to a standard of excellence and always willing to push that, push the limits and raise the bar uh, to the next level. So give us an example of, you know, maybe one of the pillars in your business that, that you're really raising the bar on now just as a, as a reference point. Oh, I'm really glad you asked that. I tell you, funny, as you were talking, I was thinking the key, and this was something I actually learned from my I keep harping back to Japan, but I think it's only because you brought up the subject of continual <laughs> improvement, which is a big Japanese philosophy as well. Uh, but uh, I remember, I remember one of my mentors very early in my career, a champion, not just a mentor, but a, somebody who championed my cause. Uh, it was a Japanese uh, businessman. And he always talked about patience having patience and uh, just uh, don't, don't be in a rush. Think long-term. And so the, the one thing that I, the example, and I just mentioned it actually, that is of incredible satisfaction to me is actually search engine optimization. So I, the short story is uh, I actually did a podcast uh, or uh, interviewed a fellow for a podcast over a year ago, a little over a year ago. And he said that 80% of his, and he was an information products guy. And he said that the 80% of his site traffic or business came from organic traffic, from SEO. And I'd done zil, nil, absolutely zero of this. It's all nothing. And it just intrigued me. And that same day I was pitched by a guy on LinkedIn. And I thought, okay, what the heck? You know, I'll give it a shot. 12 months later, the site traffic that I have, by the way, it's been a huge investment of time and money. It's not a trivial thing. But the site traffic that I get to my website is extraordinary. Try running cat rates and see what pops up, right? Uh, or I think real estate development process or something. If you run those searches, my site pops up. Cat rates, it pops up ahead of Fundrise and, and uh, Realty Mogul. I mean, it absolutely blows me away. Of course, everybody's going to try that now. They're listening and I'll be on page 12. <laughs> but uh, that has been, uh, that is something that I'm fascinated by, that 
when it, the patience is a virtue and that that's one of the beautiful things about digital marketing uh, Tyler uh, for any sponsor anybody listening any investor any passive investor right, let's call them that that's listening in that has their own business everybody can benefit from digital marketing and the beautiful thing is that every when you said what did you say version one is better than version zero the beautiful thing about digital marketing is that article one always stays there so when you put article two up now you've got two articles when you put article three up you've got three and so on and so forth and the more consistent you are and the more time you spend and the more dedication you put into it the bigger it builds it just it does it only gets better it's like a growing resource it's an asset that grows and yes. so that's kind of the big realization for me is the effort is worth it it, you mm -hmm. have to be patient. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's incredibly powerful when it kicks in, change your life. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that because I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think it's really interesting. You know, most of the people that listen to this show, you know, we all have a desire to grow and to become more and we all want to get there now. We, we want to get there yesterday, but having that sort of tension, you know, that's what creates progress. But also, if you can mix in a little bit of patience and have a philosophy that patience is a virtue, as, as Adam mentioned, I think it's a very powerful thing. And recognizing that the compound effect, you know, really can collapse that timeline while you do need to be patient. But when you sort of continuously put out that content, when you continuously do the right thing day in and day out and stack those things on top of each other, it's amazing what can happen. And uh, I really love that. So, so Adam, uh, tell me, I mean, what's the, what's the big picture? I mean, what's the reason and maybe the driving force behind what you do? The, uh, the driving force is, uh, I really, I really have found such joy in switching to the digital world that, I want other people to discover it as well. It is life-changing for the better. And I absolutely adore helping people make that step into the digital world and discover how powerful it is. I love it. I, I'm, doing, I'm working a job that I enjoy more than anything I have done before uh, because really I'm changing people's lives. And it's for the good, especially people who come in who have never seasoned sponsors who have never contemplated this before who come in they get over that hump of skepticism i love helping them change their their world and uh, their their fundraising and for investors i have this i i, I don't know i have this kind of personal i feel a sense of personal responsibility to help them see real estate through the lens of my experience without selling them a deal, right? basically, non-vested. Just go out there, enjoy this opportunity. It's an amazing way to make money, but learn your stuff first. And I enjoy, I love teaching, and I, I love people that appreciate what, uh, what I'm teaching. So, I yeah, it's, that. yeah, interesting. No, that's great. And, and I wanted to make a mention of this earlier, but I forgot, but you just reminded me of it is education based marketing, how valuable that is. Not only can you help, you know, those who are, you know, interested in participating as investors in your deals, learn more and they can read between the lines and they can become more educated. So they're more empowered to take on other opportunities as well. But, you know, it makes it such a better process for all involved. So uh, I appreciate that very much. And, and Adam, this has been a ton of fun. I want to transition slightly into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. And it's all <laughs> about continuing to raise the bar. It's about, you know, climbing that mountain and looking across the valley and saying, look, we've got three or four more mountains there and, and they will be challenging. Of course, they will perhaps require us to plateau at times, but we're going to elevate beyond our discomfort. We're going to elevate beyond what we thought were our limits before. So uh, I want to ask you a few questions, uh, one of which I'd be curious to know, what are, what are two, or two or three of the top books that you've read maybe over the past few years that have been impactful for you? Ah, uh, yes. Gosh, uh, I read a lot. 
Um, and uh, I'll tell you one book that uh, is phenomenal. It's a heavy read, actually. Uh, but uh, it's called The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. I actually talked about this yesterday. The funny thing about that is, I'll, I'll tell you a story about this. Definitely, this would probably be the most important. The other ones, you know, I've written books over the last few years. I've got one right now, actually. I'll just I'll flash this up on the screen here. This, I've got, this is my proofs, my next book. Bloody thing. I've got to read it again. So it's not <laughs> like I'm going to have time to read anything else. Uh, but The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking is by a fellow called Phil Anderson. And the funny, if you don't mind, I'm just going to share this with you. Please. Funny story about this. It was given to me by a fellow called Steve Kaufman, who is CEO of Zeus Crowdfunding out of Houston. He and I met and he gave me this beautifully inscribed book and he said, you should read this book. So I called Steve, having not read the book. And I said to him, Steve, I thought I've got to read this book. So I said, Steve, let's do a podcast. And we'll talk about the book, all right? We'll, <laughs> right at the beginning, of, so I thought if we set a date for it, yes, I'll be forced to read it. So we set a date, and three days before, I've still not read the bloody. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know what? I've got an idea. So I went online and I found Phil Anderson. I know these are supposed to be rapid fire, but you've got no chance with me. <laughs> I thought I find Phil Anderson. So I sent him an email. I said, "Will you do a podcast with me and Steve Kaufman?" And I called Steve and I said, I've sent an email to the guy. I thought I'll stall it at least a few days. I won't have to bloody talk. Well, Phil Anderson called, wrote back and said, yes, I'll do the podcast. So I'm now I had to bloody read the book. Well, it is absolutely fantastic. He talks about the 18.6 year, get that, 18.6 year real estate cycle. Interesting. And he talks about now this uh, crazy period of unrest that we have at the moment is being a mid cycle downturn, not the end of the cycle. Hmm. So I think it's an incredible, I think it's a very interesting perspective. I think it's very compelling. It's been, it was written uh, using historical data. I think you might even have sites in it. I'm not sure. It's not academically, it's not peer reviewed or anything, but it's still, it's a very good book. The Secret Life of real estate and banking that would be the that would be the one that i would i would recommend excellent yeah no i always i always cringe at myself when i ask that question because like you i'm a huge reader and whenever i say hey what's the most what what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've ever read i'm like how do i even pick that answer but it is it is intriguing you That's ask it. It, no matter how unfair that question is <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, see, because I get answers like this and now I've got to go pick up the book and how interesting an 18.6 year cycle. Yeah. I'd love to learn more about that and add to my own understanding and to invest in my own mindset so that I can make appropriate decisions. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Adam, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? How do I elevate my life on a daily basis? I always try to make progress. I mean, I always try to, it's important to me to feel like I've had a productive day. And so one way that I do that actually is I try to stay hyper-focused on the task at hand. And the way that I do that is to switch off email. All right, close the window with email so that I'm not constantly being distracted. And I actively think in my mind, I'm, I have to focus on getting this task done. It's okay. The emails can wait. It's okay. And I do consciously think that, you know, that uh, let me get this done. And I find that when I do that, even bigger tasks, um, and I spend a couple or, or longer, two, three hours, hyper-focused on a particular task. I find that the world hasn't stopped and uh, I got something major out of the way and I feel good about it. So that's, I try to focus on tasks at hand. Absolutely. And the only way you can make progress is through focus. And so I, I can, I can understand that deeply myself. I know that if you're not careful, email can overtake your entire day every single day. And, and what do you get? I mean, obviously it's important to communicate, but at the end of the day, You've got to create that focus, and especially in this environment, you know, with, you know, an overwhelming abundance of technology, as we've been speaking about today, which is such a powerful tool. It can also be to your detriment if you can't focus uh, within 
within that sphere. So I appreciate you sharing that. Adam, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? You know, it's a funny world that we live in right now because the people around me are not actually around me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the way that I do that is by trying to tune in and listen to what they're saying. Uh, I had this experience uh, recently. Actually, my wife overheard me and gave me a pat on the back for it. I wasn't really conscious that I was doing it. I was talking to a friend online, a a business contact online. And she was talking about a a personal struggle that she was having with a transition from one business that she's in and wanting to transition into something more fulfilling. And so I said to her, and I'm really parroting, repeating what my wife patted me on the back for. I, I repeated back to her, that sounds like, she actually asked me a question. And instead of answering the question, I said, uh, it sounds like you're really struggling. You know, t- tell me about that. And I think it gave her a, an avenue of release uh, mm. to be able to share and to explain and to talk about that. I do that with, I know I do that naturally. And I do it with my clients because I, I want to know who they are. I want to understand what makes them tick and how they see the world because for them to be successful they have to be able to articulate that so i enjoy drawing out of people their their raison d'etre and how they see the world and i think it can be cathartic for them as well and uh, and very helpful so i think that's the answer that's a great answer. And you know what? We're all people. We all have emotions. That's, that's what we are. And uh, how can you recognize that in someone else? I mean, I think there's a ton of value in that. And even just labeling and helping people get more clarity on, on what they're feeling is a great way to build a relationship and to build influence and to help someone else. Um, you know, I think there's so much value there and wow, this has been a phenomenal conversation, Adam. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share with Elevate Nation today? Um, yes, actually there is. So it's funny that you asked me three questions and the, or however many you asked me at the end, because <laughs> uh, you got a really good name for it. <laughs> you called it the something, something, something. I thought it was very the rare cool. air questionnaire. Because <laughs> really I always ask three last questions as well, but I haven't got a snappy kind of summary for what I call it. Um, but there is one parting thought. And that is the, one of the most profound answers that I've had uh, when I ask my three questions that I try to believe as well <laughs> is that when you go online, it's inevitable that there will be people who don't like you. And you know what? That's okay. Because for everyone, if you remember, and I, I do talk about this quite a lot, the, the normal curve. <laughs> I said this to you, yep. the normal curve, didn't I? There's a, for somebody that doesn't like what you do, there's somebody, there's, there, there's somebody else who really does. And so always try and focus on those who really like what you do and, and just persevere, keep moving forwards. No matter how hard it might get, no matter what you're up against during these crazy times that we're in now, just keep moving forwards. Just do something to move ahead and, and never give up. You know, just, you've got to keep, stay in motion. If you don't know what to do, figure something out to do. It doesn't matter what, do it. Just keep moving. Anything is better than nothing, right? You're like your mentor said, version one is better than version zero. So absolutely. Wow. No, that's great. And, uh, that's amazing. I mean, if you, if you're not inspired by, you know, just that thought, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, at the end of the day, it is about moving forward. It's about making progress and it's not a straight line. You know, there's definitely going to be setbacks, but recognizing that they're all there for a purpose and maybe there's a, a, a seed for a greater, you know, benefit in the future and recognizing that it is about making progress. It's about learning. It's about growing. And uh, what an exciting conversation, Adam. I really, really appreciate you taking time. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about what you do and uh, stay engaged with you. Yeah, sure. So the really the best way to 
not just learn what I do, but to learn a lot about real estate, about real estate investing and about raising money online, go to gowercrowd.com. That's my last name, G-O-W-E-R, gowercrowd.com. And there is massive amounts of information, over half a million words. And actually the best thing we just put in, talk about continual improvement, we just put in a really detailed automated email sequence. Uh, if you sign up to either of the email lists, you'll get a massive amount of content, free high value content in your inbox. Um, so go ahead and check that out. Let me know if you want to know anything that I've not shared with you. Excellent. Excellent. And we will put links in the show notes um, to gowercrowd.com. Of course, all the social media sites, you can find them, you know, Gower Crowd on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I mean, you, you name it, they're everywhere. And then of course, I wanted to make a mention of the fact that there's an investor acquisition system master course available. If uh, you go to gowercrowd.com slash investor dash acquisition dash system dash master dash course, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. But very exciting that you've got an opportunity to go a little bit deeper there in what Adam's doing. So with all that said, I mean, what an outstanding discussion today. And I think there's so much that the listener can take action on and can glean in terms of insight because information is not power. You know, access to information is something that we all have. We all have an abundance of access to information. It's about how do you take action on this and what insights did you glean? So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. And, you know, I say this and some people may roll their eyes when I say this, but, you know, take notes. I mean, if there's, you want to get your iPhone out or whatever and open the notes app, I mean, make a, free, a few notes on things that you can take action on and perhaps some things that you can share with others. What are your top three key distinctions? Because repetition is key and it's also the mother of all skills. So if you re-listen to the show, you're going to learn something that you didn't know before. I would also encourage you to share the show with someone else that's important to you, whether it's a family member, you know, a business associate, uh, someone else who maybe you've invested with previously or someone else who you know who's looking to create more opportunities in their life. And, uh, you know, you can do that in many ways. Of course, you can share the show through a text message. You can do it through an email, social media, you name it. I mean, the, the opportunities are endless. So with all that said, I want to encourage you to take massive action. And until next time, I really appreciate you tuning in. And Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure was all mine, Tyler. Thank you. Absolutely. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.